Good morning. I'm going to read from, uh, didn't give you a chance to respond, sorry about that. Good morning. I'm going to read the uh, first nine verses of the first chapter of Proverbs. So if you open your Bibles to that, um, if you would, follow along with me. Verse 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand the words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teachings, for they are a graceful garland for your neck and pendants for, for your neck. We're in the book of Proverbs beginning our new series this summer in and through the book of Proverbs. What we like to do is go through books of the Bible, as you know. Summertime is a little bit different because, um, you know, you'll miss some weeks. Um, you'll be vacationing and graduations and family outings. So we like to try to do series through the summer that if you miss a week, maybe miss a week or two, um, you can come back and, and really not miss a whole lot where you're going through books and narratives and stuff. You might miss some stories. So this is something we're going to do through the book of Proverbs and looking at a lot of topical um, sermons or topical ideas through the book of sermons. Now, there's a difference between topical preaching and topical expository preaching. We like to do expository preaching here. And the difference is we don't come up with a topic and run to the Bible and find what it has to say. We let the Bible speak to us, exegete, to draw out the principles from the Scripture uh, and, and let the Scripture speak for itself. One's running to the Scripture with a topic. One is letting the topic speak to us. So that's what we're going to be doing in Proverbs. There are topics in the Scripture that we will be walking through and there'll be a thread, let's say, on, on what, uh, what um, uh, being careful with your tongue and what you say foolishly with your, with your mouth. We all say amen. I've done some stupid things with my mouth as well. And what we'll do is we'll look to the Scripture, let the Scripture speak to us. We'll look at the sluggard, look at the fool and the wise person. So we're going to be going through the book of Proverbs this summer. And I want to encourage you to read the book of Proverbs. There are 31 chapters in Proverbs and it just happens to be 31 days in a month, or at least a longer month, but many people throughout the history of the church has read a proverb a day, every day, to get the Word of God into one's heart. So I want to encourage you, if you miss a week, there'll be podcasts, um, you can download the audio, you can grab a CD on the following week, um, you can watch it online if you need to. So that's where we're at. This summer, we are in the book of Proverbs, and... If you're familiar with King's Chapel, what we'd like to do as we begin new sermon series is talk about the sermon series, to talk about the book that we're studying through because there's context to consider, there's interpretative skills to consider, there's a lot of things to consider as we look and launch into a new series. So, if you don't like background and you don't like history, go to sleep now, we'll wake you later when it's over because that's where we're going to be this morning. So, let me say, first, Proverbs is part of your Bible that's in the Old Testament, Old Covenant, Old Testament, okay? The Old Testament, if you're not familiar, is broken into five major parts. 
You have the beginning, which is the Pentateuch, or the Torah, which is the five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Pentateuch, the first five books. After the Pentateuch, after the Torah, comes the historical books, like Joshua and Judges and Kings. Ezra and Nehemiah, which is finished, is part of the historical books, ending with Ruth. The third part of your Bible, Old Testament Bible, is the book of wisdom, the literature of wisdom, the wisdom literature. Right in a row, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. Okay? The Pentateuch, Moses, history, wisdom literature. After that comes the major prophets, like Isaiah and Jeremiah. After the major prophets are the minor prophets. Minor in a sense, not that they didn't, they didn't know who cared what he had to say. I care only what the majors had to say. But minor in a sense, they're shorter books. And it ends, your Old Testament ends with the minor prophets. People like Jonah and Micah, Nahum, Malachi, ending in the, in the Old Testament. And they're minor prophets, so major than minor prophets. So all that is your Old Testament scriptures. Now, there are several things you need to know about the book of Proverbs in order to interpret that book properly. It's not just my job to exposit scripture. It's the pastors, all the pastors' jobs here at the church is to help you do it for yourself, to help you learn your Bible, to help you read scriptures correctly, to help you hear the voice of God on your own. I can't just always just feed you, you need to feed yourself, right? Now we remember, as we study the book of Proverbs, there's only one interpretation of Scripture. What is the original author? What was God saying through the original author to the original hearer? That's what we want to get to. We want to get to the right interpretation and then bring it to application, many applications, right? Depending on what's going on in your life, what's going on in culture. But we need to know what God is saying. And the first thing we need to know is the book of Proverbs was written by several authors. Some of you may have thought Proverbs was written by Solomon, king of Israel. Some of it was, but some of it wasn't. Proverbs 1.1 opens up the proverb of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. This is his psalm, but when you get to chapter 20, it says the proverb of Solomon. When you get to chapter 22, verse 17, it says, these are the sayings of the wise. We're not sure who the wise guys are. They're probably not the guys from Brooklyn, but they're the wise guys in, in Proverbs 22. And then in Proverbs 24, it says, further sayings of the wise. There was wise men in Israel that God was speaking through, and they have their Proverbs in there as well. You get to Proverbs 25. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. So there's some other people involved in copying uh, the, the Proverbs. Proverbs 30, it says, these are the sayings of Agar, A-G-U-R. Proverbs 31, the saying of King Lemuel. So these wise people, and mostly Solomon, but other men that God raised up to write this book of Proverbs. It probably wasn't put all the way together. Some people think post-exile. Some people think pre-exile. I think that most of it was put together before Israel went into captivity. That's my, that's my educated guess, um, but many men came together and wrote the book of Proverbs. And one of the things, if you read Proverbs, and I really hope you do, is that you will open your book of Proverbs and you will start reading. And when you get to chapter one and you go through chapter nine, you will notice in chapter 10, things change drastically. You should notice it. If you don't, go back and read it again. Because in chapters nine, one through nine is more of an introduction, a, a preface of why wisdom is so important. 
right? It is the exposition for chapters 1 through 9, an exposition of the father talking about wisdom to his son. He's pressing home to, to the pupil, to the, to, the, to the son and to the other people of Israel, the difference between folly and wisdom, and that they should press on and learn and, 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 and grasp and understand wisdom. That's chapters 1 through 9, to follow wisdom, to pursue wisdom. It's the call, go after wisdom. When you get to chapter 10, you actually get into the Proverbs and you get these pithy statements of short, concise statements of Proverbs. Proverbs proper, they call it. Which brings me to the second thing you need to know about Proverbs. Wisdom literature cannot and should not be interpreted in the same way you would interpret a narrative, a gospel account. The same way you would interpret an instructive epistle, a letter like Romans, or a historical book like Acts. We have to interpret the book of Proverbs as it was written as wisdom literature, okay? Now, when you think of literature, or you think of, uh, of Hebrew poetry, because that's what this is, poetry, some of us, most of us, I would think, think of English poetry, where you're accustomed to reading, where uh, the, the poetry that read is, is put together through rhyme and meter, and, and a way in which Americans do, roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you. I read one this week, roses are red, violets are blue, you look like a monkey, and you act like one too. You know, so there's, there's that kind of poetry that goes along with that. In Hebrew, in Jewish thought, in Jewish life, it didn't work with rhyme and meter. It had to do more with um, thoughts that are arranged in a parallel way, in a parallel statement, okay? So there would be what's called Hebrew parallelism. It's a new word. I studied a little bit this week. You, your salary went well, and now you know. I know a new word. It's parallelism. Actually, I, I had to learn parallelism in school, and I actually had to write it all out. It was a, it was a major drag. But anyway... Um, <laughs> So there's all kinds of different Hebrew parallelism. There's, there's three that we're going to look at, three major ones. The first one is called, let me put this up here for you, synonymous parallelism. All right? So what that does is you're reading poetry, parallelism restates, the first line restates the second line in a very similar way, right? Um, it, it, it's synonymous, it's a continuation, it's not contrasted as in the second line. So the first kind of just brings out kind of same thing in the, the, in, the, in, the, in the writings. So here's one for you, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Finish. And forsake not your mother's teaching. So it's kind of kind of brings out the whole meaning of it. Do not, you know, uh, my son, my instruction, not, and don't forget your mother's teaching. 18.7, a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. So you have parallelism. You have the first part of the verse saying one thing, and the second part kind of saying the same thing, maybe giving more clarity, more grace, more, you know, kind of illuminating what is being said. Proverbs 3.11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Or be weary of his reproof. So don't despise discipline. Don't be weary of his reproof. You see, that's, that's a synonymous parallelism. The next one is called antithetical parallelism. Where the second line says the opposite. Antithetical, right? And a lot of times, it, it's the verse and the other verse that's antithetical has the word but in it. And you kind of know it's, it's talking about something else. Proverbs 10.27. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. But the years of the wicked will be short. 
A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. See, it kind of contrasts one truth to another truth. The fool, the folly, the wise man, the unwise man. Okay? The next one is called synthetic parallelism. That's where the lines kind of advance the thought. So you're saying one thing, and then you're bringing in something similar, but something that develops it even better. Developing the thought. Proverbs 15.3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, looking everywhere. What's he doing? Keeping watch on the evil and the good. The Lord's eyes are everywhere. And what's going on? Adding to the thought, his, he's, he's looking Evil and the good. Proverbs twenty-one thirteen. Whoever closes ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. See? Cry of the poor, don't turn your back. And if you do, this, so it adds to it. That's called antithetical parallelism. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-seven. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? So the abomination, false titles, Worshipping falsely, even more so when you're coming with the evil of intent. See the, see, see the addition? And all of you, hopefully you're thinking right now, why is he telling us all this? I'm glad you asked. If you ever heard anyone say, Proverbs 29, 18, King James Version, without where there is no vision the people perish. Usually they say, well, there's no vision. You know, something like that. The people perish and he's sweating in a handkerchief and he's got the microphone. His wife is next to him singing, hallelujah. Look like she got hit with a paintball gun and, and they're all shouting and he's like, I had a vision. God said, I need a new jet and a $50 billion jet and God gave me this vision. I'm traveling all over the world and, and give me $500 and God will, the vision I saw, the seed's gonna be sown and, and on and on. And on. Don't give that guy any money. But anyway, if you knew parallelism, you'd say, hmm, I, Pastor said something about parallelism once. Let me look up that verse. Let me see exactly in context of parallelism. With error is no vision. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Hmm. He that keepeth the law, happy is he. Well, vision, law, wait a minute. There's something, something interesting here. I wonder what the word law means or what the word perish means. Just a little, little search. Oh, it means revelatory word. It's the declaring of God's word. Oh, without the preaching of the word, people perish. But happy is he who keepeth the law. The written word of God. So it's not your crazy dream that I should give you money. It's actually the scripture. Oh, keep your jet and your money. I want nothing to do with you. I think I'll throw that check in the garbage. So it's important to know parallelism, which brings me to point three. Multiple, uh, multiple authors um, know your parallelism. And number three is one of the aims in the books of Proverbs is clearly in, to acquire and to apply God's truth, God's word, God's ways, God's will to the decisions and the activities of everyday life, okay? Proverbs is therefore a collection of writings 
truths designed initially for the use of, of the young men of Israel, Solomon's son and all the men of Israel in, in the community who were being groomed for leadership. In fact, when I read that the, the, the leaders and the, and the wise men would teach the younger pupils and they would have to memorize all the Proverbs because there's some Proverbs that, that apply at different times. Proverbs states it right at the beginning. It says right at the very first chapter and the first verse, the proverb of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, what for? We're going to talk about this a lot next week. To know wisdom, to know instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instructions in wise dealings, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple. What's it for? To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Now, the Hebrew word wisdom can be translated skill or good sense. If we're looking for wisdom, if we're looking for the skill in the art of God-centered living, then Proverbs is the answer. Living life God's way. Your home, your friends, whatever you may be doing, it is getting the skill the godly ability of a skill, choosing the right course of action, living out the practical details of everyday life, everyday situations, in everyday relationships. And you say, well, what does wisdom really look like? I, I love this verse, and if you are studying Proverbs this summer with us, mark this in your Bible. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct... Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter, jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly. So you got wisdom from above, God's wisdom, then you have earthly wisdom, and it says here it's unspiritual and demonic. Right? We don't, we don't want demonic wisdom. Can I have some demonic wisdom? We don't want that, right? For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be a disorder in every evil practice. I want some disorder. That's what I want in some evil practice, right? No. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, full of good fruits, impartial and sincere. Can't get a better definition. And it's, I think it's a good time to say, you know what? There's a difference between knowledge, biblical knowledge, and wisdom, right? There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is about obtaining facts, collecting information, true statements regarding life, regarding God. Knowledge is good, but by itself, it can be dangerous. Just enough knowledge to hurt somebody, right? <laughs> by itself, it can be dangerous, now, we should study the deep things of God. We should grow in our knowledge. Colossians tells us that we're learning on the knowledge of God. I'm not, I'm not speaking against that. But Paul tells the Corinthian church in chapter 1, verse 8, we studied this a few years ago. He says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, Now concerning the things offered to idols, food offered to idols, there's a question that they said, Paul, we need some knowledge, we need some understanding. How do we deal with this, with this food that's offered to idols? He says this, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge that you have puffs you up, but love builds up. You hear that? Knowledge puffs you up, love builds you up. 
Everyone at that church in Corinth thought they had all the right answers. Hanging out with the cool, hip Bible teachers did chapter 1. There a lot of dissension. They thought they had all this knowledge, but they were jealous. They were selfish. There was disorder. There was dissension. Just what it says in that, in that passage in James. There was vile practice. They were getting drunk at communion. And we need the knowledge to grow. But Paul is saying without love, it's not really knowledge at all. In fact, he says that will, the knowledge will puff you up. Love will grow you up. Knowledge without love makes you arrogant, gives you a fat head. You're, you're a hot air balloon. You know the person I'm talking about. Don't look to your left or right, okay? Can't tell them nothing. They got every story better than yours. They know everything about everything. The person's thinking about you too, so don't kid yourself. I'm telling you that right now, okay? <laughs> knowledge by itself can cause you to become arrogant because who's it about? It's about you. It's about showing how smart you are, showing how good you are, showing how much you know. Knowledge is a place to begin, but knowledge can't stay there. It has to be transitioned into love. Love. And if you want to properly love God, if you want to properly love him, if you want to properly love one another, there has to be wisdom. I, I love the verse in Philippians, I use it a lot in counseling, where it says, Paul is praying for the church. If Philipp, I, I, I know your good deeds, I know you're, you're abounding in the gospel and the work of the ministry, I get all that. And he says, but I'm praying for you, Philippi, church of Philippi. My prayer for you, chapter 1, verse 9, is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Knowledge and all discernment, insight, judgment, so that you may prove, approve what is excellent, pure, blameless for the day of Jesus Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. See that? Now, if we're honest, let's be honest for a minute. If you're going to destroy your life, if you're going to make a mess of your life. If you're going to blow things up in your life, it's not because you don't have enough knowledge. It's because you don't have wisdom. We are in an information age that is the fastest we've ever been. More information is distributed with greater speed than ever before. I would say... We have less wisdom today than yesterday. More knowledge, less wisdom. More mess, because we have less wisdom. We know, but we don't know how to live. Proverbs 8.10. Take my instruction, Solomon says. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, Wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Wisdom is speaking. Wisdom is saying, I'm more important than money. I'm more important than anything you desire. God is saying it's more important than fame, more important than fortune, more important than power and prestige and even happiness. Why? Because each and every one of us does not have life and life situations and circumstances 
happen to you by sitting and doing nothing. Falling from the sky and there's your riches. Falling from the sky, there's your relationships. We all make decisions. We all make decisions. And there's a lot of people who have talent and charm and, and, and charisma and beauty and even knowledge, but had made a mess of their life. And there's some people that really don't have all that much as far as knowledge, or maybe beauty, maybe intellect, but they have done quite well. The difference is wisdom. Wisdom, the ability to walk through life making good choices, good decisions that promote a healthy spiritual, emotional, and physical life. Now, the the wisdom that we're going to read about in Proverbs and talk about over the summer is not the very clear commands of Scripture. When you hear the command of Scripture, do this, don't do that, we simply and should just obey. We're talking about the working out of the principles of God that are in areas that are not clear in Scripture. Do you get that? That's wisdom. Suppose you tell your child, go clean your room. And the child has the command, there's the law, I laid it down, go clean your room. And they go into their room. They follow the law, they go into their room. And you go in after them an hour later and you see the room completely neat, completely tidy, Everything put in its place until you go over and open the what? <laughs> they had knowledge. They weren't smart enough to figure that I'm going to open the closet door. Knowledge without wisdom. Right? Go clean your room. Got the law down. Not very wise. Open the closet. Do it again. Right? Let's say you want to help a poor family out of poverty. That's good, that's right, it's honorable. You can ruin their life if not done wisely. You can make things worse if you do not use wisdom. We have to be people of wisdom that we're not ruining other lives, ruining our own lives in the process. Ray Ortland has a commentary, which I bought. Uh, it's a great commentary, and this is what he writes. If we have love but not wisdom, we will harm people with best intentions. If we have courage, but not wisdom, we will blunder boldly. If we have truth, but not wisdom, we will make the gospel ugly to other people. If we have technology, but not with wisdom, we will use the best communications ever intended to broadcast stupidity. I'm reading Proverbs, obviously, over the past few weeks. I'm reading commentaries. I'm reading Proverbs. I'm listening to it on my phone. And, you know, I'm, I, and I'm, I've just been simply amazed over the past several weeks, talking with some of you here, some of people that aren't here, how much wisdom is needed. Because it's not so much the clear commands of God that we struggle with. It's not about choosing the right car, the right doctor. It's about wisdom on dealing with areas in your life that can go either way, just looking for the wisdom. For the vast majority of most of us, the decisions we face, all the facts in the world really won't help. All the rules really won't help. Do I get married? Don't I get married? Should I date this one? Should I not date? They're principles, but there are questions that the Scripture doesn't say exactly. Do you end the relationship you're in? Do you try to mend the relationship you're in? Should I go to school here? Should I go to school there? Should I live here? Should I live there? Should I confront that person? Should I let it go for a little while? Should I play it safe or should I take a risk? 
Should I put money here? Should I put money there? There's so much that we need wisdom in those areas. And if we're honest, the questions I just said, if you get it wrong, it can go really bad. It can go really bad. There are just some things that are not hardened rules for us to follow. Sure, there are biblical principles, but sometimes there's no clear directives. We need wisdom. Wisdom is not neglecting what God has said, but making decisions, living life in such a way that bring God's glory, that brings God glory in areas that God has not directly spoken to you about. God says sex outside of marriage is sin. You don't need to check the Greek. That's what it says. Wisdom says don't go back to the house no one's home and late at night. You see, we need wisdom. We need wisdom. It is profitable, the, 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 the proverb says, more precious than jewel. There's nothing you want more than wisdom. Jesus himself knew the book of Proverbs. He used the proverb and wove it into a parable in Luke 14. Paul, in Romans 12, talking about humility and unity, used the proverb. Peter warned young churches of their condescension and and folly, and he used Proverbs. James wanted to talk about pride. He used Proverbs. In Hebrew, the New Testament, Hebrews, when it talked about encouraging you while you suffer, he went to the book of Proverbs. Now, let let me just give you a couple more guidelines before we we ask the band to come up. Uh, Some of this was taken from Mark Dever. Some of it was my own. Um, But here's a couple things to remember. Number one, when reading the book of Proverbs, when seeking the wisdom of God, the first thing you need to do is pray, right? I know you're like, really? That was very spiritual. But you know what? Prayer is important. When you don't know which way to go and you know there are principles of Scripture, but you still don't know which direction to go in, we need to pray. We need to acknowledge that it's not my will be done, it's thy will be done. And the first thing I need to do is seek the wisdom of God and pray. Talk to God. Where am I going? What am I doing? What should I do? It doesn't mean God's going to say, turn left at the light. You know, it's not going to happen. If it does see me, it's a different story. Sometimes he can give you clear direction. I, 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 that's true. But sometimes you're like, ah, I prayed, prayed. I got to make a decision. I don't really know exactly. Lord, I'm going to go this way. Close the door if you need to. You know what I mean? Sometimes you just got to pray and take a step of faith. Number two, common sense. When you read the book of Proverbs, use some common sense, right? You know the pithy Proverbs that you had growing up. I had one growing up. Everybody had sayings from their mom and dad. This might be an Italian thing. I don't know. But don't cut your nose off to spite your face. All right? I heard that all the time, unfortunately. It's an expression, don't overreact. Don't make matters worse for you when the person you're having problems with is that one. Don't cut your nose off to spite your face. Or this one, look before you leap. Don't jump into something, right? Does it mean that my mom is saying, listen, put the knife down. Don't really cut your nose off. No, she's not telling me that. Or don't look before you leap. Does it mean that if I do it once or twice, I'm thinking, okay, I could do it on the throughway now. I'm safe. Like, use common sense, right? I mean, just use common sense. The, me- the pen is mightier than the sword. Don't come to a sword fight with a pen. You're going to lose. Like, that's not what it means. So, like, use some common sense. So pray. Use some common sense. Don't throw it out the window. Number three, realize that Proverbs are, generally speaking, principles to live by, not promises to claim each and every one of those. Many of the Proverbs are true some of the time, but not true all of the time, but are true ultimately. 
okay? Some Proverbs are true some of the time. Some Proverbs are true all the time. But some Proverbs are true ultimately, okay? And I'll tell you what I'm talking about just in case you're not sure, okay? Ultimately, Proverbs 16, 7 says this. And I've used this proverb. I love this proverb. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. There's some people not living at peace with me. The proverb is true, but not always true, but ultimately true. In fact, we know that to be the case because Jesus had lots of enemies and he was pleasing his father all the time and they nailed him to a tree. But ultimately, it's true because every knee will bow, every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord, including Hitler and every other person, will bow and it will be ultimately true. Okay, so pray, use common sense, right? Realize the proverb may not be true at the moment. It could be true at the moment, but it will be ultimately true. And number four, as you read Proverbs, you're going to read imagery, poetic imagery. You got to know the context. You got to do a little work. You know, you got to do a little cultural context. You got to find out what's going on. You should be able to understand that. Proverbs 16, 7. No, let me go to the next one. Proverbs 16, 17. The highway of the upright turns aside from evil... Whoever guards his way preserves his life. Now, you're not talking about a literal highway. You've got to use common sense. Again, the goal is what is the meaning of the text? What was in that context when what the author is trying to understand? It teaches this imagery being used. Proverbs 35, 19 says this. Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. I saw you wink at me. I saw you wink. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's not what it means. So you got to understand. Number five, as a whole, understand this family. Proverbs is not a dear Abby, figure things out for myself. Proverbs is about your relationship with God and your God relationships with others. It's religious in purpose, okay? They're not just simply cute, pithy statements. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Better late than Okay. Keep your friends close and your enemies. Yeah, all right. I'll make him an offer he. All right, there we go. Never hate your enemy. It affects your judgment. The lawyer with the briefcase can steal more money than the man with the gun. All right, that's all Godfather, but it's still. They are short stories and kind of if you want to run a family business, you use those. But coming to the Proverbs as this dear Abby so I can run an illegal loan shocking operation is really not the you know, intent of the Proverbs. Because what we'll do if it's not Christ-centered, we're teaching moralism to get your life in order so you can go to hell without Christ. I don't want that. God does not want that. Okay? Um, Jonathan Aiken, great book called Preaching Christ from Proverbs, been reading it, tells a story that he was preaching one time in Proverbs about the use of the tongue and, you know, speaking poorly. He says, a man who I, who I knew did not have a relationship with Jesus approached me to tell me what a helpful sermon that was about the tongue. He said, your message really hit me between the eyes. I was going to do a, I'm going to do a better job with how I talk to my wife. He turned and then he walked away. He says, the sermon did not call him to salvation. It only served to make him try harder. 
and try to be a better husband. This approach to Proverbs is dangerous because it can imply a form of works-based righteousness where people try to earn favor with God by their actions, oblivious to the fact that apart from the gospel, they are heading straight to hell. That is moralism, not gospel-centered preaching. The problem, he writes, with moralistic approach to Proverbs, it does not deal with the fundamental issue facing every one of us, the cause of our sin. You see, the foundation problem we have is not a lack of knowledge or even a lack of wisdom per se. It's sin. It is a heart that wants to do its own thing. It is a heart that wants to be their own God, their own wisdom, their own Savior. We are sinful people and a broken people at the moment we enter into this world. Even if we learn all the right moves and get all the wisdom straight and knowledge, we have mastered the teaching of Proverbs, we still do not possess the ability to obey those rules, those principles, because our heart is desperately wicked and we need the gospel and we need Christ in order to live pleasing to God. Jonathan Aiken's story, that man in that story could speak and knew to speak more kindly to his wife. But the problem is, and the truth is, we need more than moralism to deal with our sin. We need Christ. We need the gospel. The Bible is quite clear, family, that Proverbs in all the Old Testament scriptures are not a collection of divinely inspired cliches that prepare us to live life better in our own strength. Proverbs is not to gain wisdom as the means to an end. The Bible teaches us that the final aim and the purpose of the Proverbs and all of Scripture, as Paul said to Timothy, remember how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So simply put, The main purpose of Proverbs, just like all the books of the Bible, is ultimately about Jesus. To show us Jesus, to treasure Jesus, to love Jesus as the only true God and Savior, and to sanctify us to be more like Jesus. That's why he goes on to say, all Scripture is breathed, out by God, profitable for what? teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good works. Proverbs, like all of Scripture, points us to Jesus, to be more like Him. Yes, on one hand, it's about knowing God's will. It's about everyday life. It's about living life every day in relationships, but it's doing it in such a way that it brings God glory. Now, I don't want you to miss this. God's wisdom for gospel living. God's wisdom. One thing we want to do here at King's Chapel, avoid it like the plague, is somehow promote godly living so that you can stretch out your own self-righteous hand and pack your own self-righteous self on the back. That means the book of Proverbs is good news for broken people. I'm a broken person. Okay? It's good news for the broken. It is God's grace to the undeserving sinner. It is our hope in a fallen world. It is wisdom for the foolish one like myself. Ultimately, the good and the prosperous life is a life that knows and treasures and centers their life on Jesus Christ and the gospel. Wisdom teaches us to do that. So God's wisdom is, a, is living out, 
Right? God's wisdom is living out of the life of the gospel, living the, the life out of Christ in all humility and grace, Christ living through me to look more like him so that I could demonstrate and declare the good news to people who are broken and foolish like me. We live in such a way that it shows the world that the decisions we make, that the path we choose and follow is because we treasure Christ above all treasures. People see our humility, our, 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 our brokenness, our wisdom in Jesus and enables us then to speak and demonstrate and declare the gospel. It's not just for get wealth scheme or just to get through life with less bruises. It's about the glory of God and the gospel. Which brings me to the ultimate key, why the book of Proverbs is so important. Solomon, it says in chapter 1, is the author, at least the one who put it together, most of it anyway. No surprise. In 1 Kings 3, you know the story. Solomon says, God says to him, what can I give you? Solomon says, I need wisdom. I want wisdom. Help me. Give me what I need to govern your people wisely. Let me know between good and evil I can govern your people. And it says the Lord was pleased with Solomon that he asked for such wisdom. In fact, in chapter 4 of 1 Kings, it says that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. And breath of mind like the sand on the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east. And all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. And listen, and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. But if you know the story of Solomon, with all the wisdom he had, he fell very badly. Many wives, foreign wives, led into false worship. His great wealth also contributed to unwise excesses. Solomon began well. He humbled himself. He asked for a request, and then he disobeyed. And his kingdom was split when he died. That's because every narrative, every story, everything the Bible points to points to one hero, and one hero only, and his name is Jesus Christ. As you read Proverbs, especially the first nine chapters, what you will find, you will find that this this. Man is exhorting his son, committing to wisdom. And and he says, have a personal relationship with what Solomon calls wisdom. Proverbs 3, blesses the one who finds wisdom and who gets understanding. Listen, for the gain from her is better than silver and gold. She is more precious. See, have wisdom and, and get to know this person. She is more precious. Nothing you desire will compare to her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and her paths are peace. She is a true tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold fast are called blessed. See what's happening? The personification of wisdom pointed to something greater that I don't even think Solomon understood. The wisdom is not a thing. The wisdom is a person. In Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, you're this great miracle worker, we want a sign. And he says, evil and adulterous generations seek signs. No sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. 
For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. You know what else he said? Next verse. The queen of the south. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Wisdom incarnate is standing in front of them. Wisdom has a name. The wisdom of God is really a person you can love, you can know, you get into a relationship with, a person that will make you wise. He is the ultimate guide, the ultimate mentor, the wonderful counselor. The good news of the gospel is that wisdom is a person and his name is Jesus. Knowing him personally will make you wise. By knowing Jesus, by being made like him, he will empower you and I to walk in his ways. Wisdom ultimately is not a body of knowledge to master. It is not a body of principles to memorize. It's knowing, loving, treasuring, walking with Jesus. A relationship with the King of Kings, living with him, learning from him is the only way to get real wisdom, true wisdom, Ultimate wisdom that will be true and be everlasting. You say, really, pastor? Yeah. First Corinthians, listen to this verse. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Is not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. You think you know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. Listen to the next verse. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, verse 24, mark it in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 1, 24, but to those who are being called, both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power of God and Christ is what? The wisdom of God. Paul points to the one who is wisdom. Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God. Now listen. One last thing. The band, you can come up. I want everybody else just give me one more minute. One more minute. Before we worship and sing, at least. At worship and sing. It was the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. John chapter 7. It was the last day. The Feast of Tabernacles, the Jews would build booths. We learned that in, Ezra, in, in Nehemiah. They would build booths and tents to remind themselves of the, of the forefathers who wandered in the desert. And how God provided for them. How God cared for them. And his protection of them. It was the last day of the feast, John 7 says. It's the day of what's called Hosanna Day, where the priests would prepare the morning sacrifices, right? They would prepare the morning sacrifices, and the people of Israel would dress in these festival outfits, in these beautiful festival outfits with branches in both hands. And the priests would gather the people in the temple and walk down to the Pool of Siloam. The Pool of Siloam had a running water. It was a living water flowing into this pool. He would take... People singing and celebrating two basins or two uh, 
cups or, or pitchers, and he'd fill it with the living water. And they would sing the Hallel, which is Psalm 113, 119, go back up to the temple where the sacrifices were just about being done. And they would pour water into one funnel down into the, sac- into the uh, altar, and they would pour the wine into one and water into the other. And as the water is being poured as a symbol of when God would manifest and send salvation, they would sing out, O work then of our salvation, and the water would be poured, there'd be celebration and the outpouring of blessings. It would be a, you know, pointed to the salvation that God would supply and give them through the son of David, the king of Israel. And when everything and all the sacrifice was done and the song was being sung and the water was being poured out, when it was all done, there was complete silence. Israel waited. Salvation from the son of David, king of David, silence. It was then that many scholars believe it's when Jesus stood up, John 7. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You know what Proverbs says, chapter 13? Hear the teaching of the wise. It's a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Jesus is the fountain. Jesus is the living water. There is a way out of folly. There is a way out of death, the snares of death, and hell and destruction. His name is Jesus. Without him, there is foolishness, there is hell, there is death. The wisdom of God is Jesus of Nazareth. And therefore, as we read Proverbs concerning the wise of everyday life through relationships, we do it in a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Messiah. Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God, who is the perfect embodiment of wisdom. Do you know him as your only Lord, the only Savior who died on the cross, rose from the dead, that can give you eternal life? Do you know him? Do you know him as the ultimate wisdom for life? Do you lean on him? Do you learn from him? Are you trying to live life in those areas that on your own that you're not really sure or you're trying to seek the face, the strength, the wisdom of Jesus. That's what wisdom is all about, Jesus. Do you have a relationship with him or will you walk in wisdom? Finally, Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, My burden is light. That's what Proverbs is all about. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You've given us your word. You have given us your spirit. You've given us the writing of Solomon and Proverbs. But most importantly, you have given us your only son. Thank you for that wonderful gift. And Father, we pray that as we come to know and love Jesus more each and every day, we would become wise in this life. Not for ourselves, not for our glory, but for yours. So that people can see that we're living out the gospel in our life. Broken people who have been healed by the king. Broken people who are looking for redemption. Broken people who have received salvation. Who are humble before you. And that when we hear the voice of Jesus, we will respond in love and and demonstrating and declaring the gospel because wisdom is Jesus 
And that's what we're all about. So, Father, we pray as we study this book together as a church, you would give us wisdom for your glory, our joy. May we respond even now with this song in a way that brings honor and glory to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.